Father, thank you so much for the vision of those who started care in our area a long time ago. Thank you for sustaining them over so many years, Lord. Thank you for making them fruitful in the city. Thank you for all the lives that they have touched, not only in the goods and services that they have given away, but just in being a place where other people can get joy by donating or volunteering or what have you, Lord. It really has been a bridge between the love of God and Christ and people who are in need in our area. So I just thank you so much for the existence of this ministry and for the fruitfulness of this ministry. And we pray for them, particularly in this time of great need, that you would supply all of their needs, that you would empower them with vision and food and clothing and everything that they need to uh, touch people's lives. And I pray that somehow along the way, that not only would food be distributed, but that the hope of God in Christ would be distributed. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be preached, in other words, as we meet people at their point of need. And Father, if there are people in our own congregation or people who are known by our congregation who have needs, I pray, Father, that you would give us the humility and the boldness to bring the need forward and to, um, to just connect a needy person with resources. And I do thank you, Father, that in every season of life you meet us right where we are and you give us the things that we need to glorify your name and to bless other people in that season of life. And now, Father, as we turn to the word of God for the day, I pray for your help. I pray for your help as I share some personal things with the people. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to articulate what's on my heart and what you've put on my mind to say. I pray that you'd help people to process what I'm saying as I share. And then, Lord, as we begin to look at Revelation chapters 4 and 5, I, I just ask you to give us wisdom into how to build bridges between the glorious vision of the throne room of God that's there, the glorious vision of the end of this age that's there, and the real problems that we're facing in the world and in our personal lives. Lord, we know that there are bridges between heaven and earth. We know that there are ways that your great truth impacts our world. But Father, we need your help to know how to see those bridges and cross those bridges. So I, um, in faith, Lord, in joy, in anticipation, I ask for your help with that today. And for how you will help us, Lord, we thank you with all of our hearts in the powerful and patient name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been meditating together on the stunning vision of the throne room of God and of the end of this age and the beginning of the next age that's there for us in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. This vision was first granted to John as an actual experience on a particular day on earth. And then it has been preserved for us in writing for these 2,000 years, which is in itself just amazing. And to me, equally amazing is the fact that the Holy Spirit meets us right where we are as we're meditating on this word so that we can, by faith, see the things that John saw. As I've been expressing to you over the last couple of weeks, this vision was not just given to John for his own sake or for the sake of the churches in his age, but for the sake of the church throughout all of the ages. And the words of Revelation 4 and 5 are meant to do more than pass data on to us, beloved. The words of Revelation 4 and 5 are meant to become a revelation to us as we seek God by faith. And I just feel so grateful to him for giving us, uh, entrusting us with this um, glorious vision of his throne room and of the end of the age. We've also been discussing in our community groups, in our families, and uh, in our private conversations, what I consider to be a very vital question, namely, how does this vision of the throne room of God and the end of the age in Revelation 4 and 5 help us to understand and respond to the issues in our world right now? 
the issues in our church and in the church at large and the issues in our personal lives. We've been talking about how we can bridge between heaven and earth in ways that are truly glorifying to God and truly helpful to our age. We have been seeking the Lord and asking him to help us find the right balance between heavenly-minded and being earthly-minded in, in a way that allows us to fulfill our calling on this earth and to bear fruit in this age that will last into the age to come. And as I've shared in the last two messages, my hope has been now that we've looked at chapters four and five to spend three Sundays with you addressing the main vital question that's before us. Specifically, I've wanted to talk about the bridge between this vision in Revelation 4 and 5 and the COVID crisis and everything that's associated with it. And then in another message, I was hoping to talk with you about Revelation 4 and 5 and the racial injustice issues that are engulfing our land. And now so many other things have uh, you know, gotten into the situation there and very much complicated the conversation. I was hoping, hoping to spend at least one Sunday, maybe two Sundays, talking about that. And then I was hoping to take a, another Sunday to talk about the relationship between Revelation 4 and 5 and our personal suffering, either in this season of life or in any season of life for that matter. But that said, in addition to all that Kim and I have been facing over the last several months, the last uh, couple weeks in particular have been very difficult with regard to her brother. He's um, literally been hanging on a thread between life and death, and it's just been excruciating. I don't want to share too much because I know that children are present and all that, so I, I just will trust you to understand that I mean it when I say that it's been extremely difficult uh, to be going through what we're going through just with that one situation alone. And uh, yet, as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, I wish that that's all we were dealing with. We're having to deal with a number of very difficult and emotionally heavy and complicated things all at once. We trust the Lord, but that's just the, just the reality. But due to all that we have been enduring in recent days, I have to be honest with you and tell you that I've just come to a place in my life where I'm, I'm just finding it hard to function day by day. I mean, I'm able to get up and have breakfast and, you know, all the, all the normal stuff. I'm not saying I can't function at all, but just as far as being a, a helpful and productive uh, person in the family of God and even in my family, I'm just finding it more and more difficult. I'm finding it difficult to think straight, finding it difficult to look into the future. And, and just to be honest with you, I don't think that at this particular moment I'm able to lead the church at all. It's just a matter that, you know, sometimes when our system gets so overloaded with difficulties, we just we can only handle so much. We're like a cup that has a capacity, and when so much gets poured into the cup, there's just no room for other things, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. In order to get a, some sort of objective measure of what I'm experiencing right now, I took a psychological stress test this week. It's a kind of test that uh, queries you about a number of experiences that you might have had in your life. And for every experience that you've had in your life over the last six or 12 months, it gives you a particular score and you answer 25, 30 questions or whatever it is. And then I added some um, just additional comments so that they could take that into account as well. They calculate all that and come out with a final stress score. And in this particular test, there were five levels of stress. The fifth level of stress was a score of 300 or above. And my score on this test was over 600 points. Kim did not take the test, but she would have basically answered all the questions just the way that I did. So I, I just need you to understand that we're both in a place where we're dealing with an enormous and unusual amount of stress that won't last forever, but for right now, is very heavy and it's very difficult. The interpretation key for this test said that 
in that fifth category of stress, even if you're just in the 300s there, that you have an 80% likelihood of experiencing a serious illness or of getting in an accident, which I think just means that, you know, I've been finding it difficult, like when I'm driving, like I really have to pay attention because I, I just find that I'm not seeing things that I would normally see. You know, again, your system's just kind of overloaded, so your senses are down, so maybe you get in an accident or you're cutting vegetable and you don't notice where your finger is or something, just something like that. So either illness or an accident. Uh, third thing is people in dealing with this level of stress will tend to make large and horrible decisions or at least not good decisions. And then, of course, there's also the possibility of moral failure. But bottom line is what they're saying is if you don't get on top of your stress, your stress is going to get on top of you uh, when you get to this kind of level. And none of the options that I just listed out for you uh, sound good to me. <laughs> I'm sure they don't sound good to you. None of us wants our, ourselves to fall into th those types of things. None of us wants that for our family or for our friends or for our leaders, for our spiritual leaders, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Kim and I have just come to a place in life where we just need to pull back and get some ministry um, from the Lord and also from others right now. One analogy that I've been using is uh, imagine that you got an injury and it's the type of injury that you know you're going to need a surgery. And for the moment, you're able to function, but you know that eventually you're going to have to have the surgery in order to make it in the long term. And, and you're just hoping and waiting for a certain timing for the surgery. But then a certain day comes along and you just realize you can't function anymore. So uh, we've got an excellent surgeon <laughs> and we know that this surgery is going to go well. We know that we're going to be okay in the long term. We just need some time, beloved. We need time to draw away with the Lord. We need time to seek him out in private. We, we love to just go into the woods with our Bibles and our journals and our bicycles and our fishing poles and just take long, long periods of time to be with the Lord alone and together, uh, to enjoy nature a little bit and just let the Lord do his thing inside of us. This has always been incredibly healing for us. And, you know, things are complicated in our state right now with regard to where we can go, but God will open up some doors for us. And we just basically want to go into the woods and let the Lord do his work on us. We have been seeing some counselors. Three different ones have been helping us in different capacities, and we'll continue to do that, and we'll probably amp that up um, with more time on our hands. We've been talking to friends and family and people that are helping us walk through these things. So we, we plan to steward our souls well in this time, but we just need to draw back and we need to, to, to receive ministry from the Lord and from others. I have three weeks of vacation coming to me, and so I was planning to take that vacation after I finished this train of thought um, through Revelation 4 and 5 with you. But this last week, uh, Pastor Kevin and Craig Prange and Dave Fergus met a couple of times, and they have lovingly urged me to, to take that time now rather than later. And just given where Kim and I are at right now, I think uh, that's the best wisdom. One thing I love, by the way, about the body of Christ is that when we're just dealing with things in life where it's hard for us to think straight, we have brothers and sisters around us that are thinking straight, and they can help us see. And if we'll just humble ourselves and listen to what they have to say, if we will receive their love and care for us, then we together can discern the way of God, and we can walk in that way together. And I'm just so grateful for the body of Christ. I'm so grateful for you, brothers. Kevin and Dave and Craig, I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful for your love for our family. I'm grateful for your loving urging for us to take care of our souls now. And I'm very hopeful that as we walk in this way, God will help Kim and I get what we need and we'll come back more ready than ever to bear fruit along with you um, for the long term. 
in addition to the three weeks that I have coming to me in our employee manual, uh, we allow our employees, full-time employees, to take up to two weeks of paid time off that accumulates over time. But I've never taken even a day of that time in the last uh, 12 or 13 years. It's been 13 years now. I've taken a sick day here or there, but I've always made it up. So I've actually never sort of in a net sense taken even one of those days. So they've urged me to take the full two weeks right now. So the three vacation weeks plus these two weeks adds up to five. And beginning this weekend, Kim and I are going to back away from ministry for five weeks and just seek the uh, ministry of the Lord and the, the, the healing touch of the Lord. And again, I trust that God will meet us um, wherever we end up going. If those five weeks are not enough for us, uh, these brothers have told us that they'll work with us to, to figure out a way to get us more time. I'm eligible for sabbatical this year, so I could always apply for sabbatical. I'd rather not do that this year. I was hoping to take my sabbatical next year, perhaps um, even two years from now. But again, that's possible. And mainly, I just want you to know that th- this is not the prelude to us exiting the church. We don't want that. We don't see that as necessary. We just need some time to draw back and to let the Lord minister to us. I'm so grateful for all of you that have reached out to us, but I, I want you to know that in the Lord, we're truly okay. We're in a lot of pain emotionally and sometimes even physically, but in the Lord, we're okay, and I really mean that. Our faith is strong. We're looking to the Lord. We're seeking the Lord. We're listening to the Lord through his word and by his spirit, through conversation with each other and with others in our lives. We're trusting in him. We're hoping in him. By his grace, our faith is strong. And I would not tell you that if it wasn't true. As I said when I was talking about care, there are times in our lives where we just come to a place of weakness. And perhaps it was the way I was raised, but I'm just not afraid to say when I'm struggling with something and when I'm feeling weak rather than strong. And I would tell you. But I want you to know that in the Lord, Kim and I are well and we're trusting in God We have seen God get us through a thousand trials, and we know that he'll get us through this trial as well. And we're eager for the day when we can stand before you and testify to all the things that God has done through this trial. We're eager to stand before you and say, we could not have come to this place if God did not entrust us with this trial. Look, the Lord is not surprised by anything we are experiencing or you are experiencing. He's not out of control Nothing is in a state of chaos for him. He is in perfect control, and he has perfect plans for his people, right? He works everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what that ultimate good is, is for us to be shaped into the image of Jesus. And one of the greatest, most effective ways that he does that is he puts us into the furnace of suffering for a season, and all the heat of that just burns off the junk and purifies the gold, right? Our faith, which is actually worth more than gold, becomes refined and all the fleshly stuff uh, burns away. So, you know, often we can deal with this stuff as we continue to go about our course of life. But like I said with my analogy, sometimes you got to stop the boat and go have surgery. Then you recover and you return. So to be a little bit more specific with you, our plan over this coming five weeks is first of all to Just continue to take care of ourselves, to eat well, to exercise, to get as much sleep as we can, kind of control the factors of health that we can control, to continue having quiet times, to be rich in the word of Christ, to be constant in prayer. A couple of you have asked me, I've I've lost quite a bit of weight over the last few months. Some of you have asked me if this was stress related and it's not. I've just been eating and exercising well and uh, we just want to continue that. We want to take control of the things that we can control and trust the Lord with the things that we can't control. So 
want to pursue health in our life. Second, we uh, plan, as I said, to continue seeking counseling, probably amp that up a little bit. Third, we plan to spend as much time as we can just alone with the Lord and together with the Lord. And number four, another thing we're really praying for is that God would give us the grace not only to receive from him in these days, but even to be a conduit of blessing uh, through him to others in these days. One of the greatest joys I think that God gives us when we suffer is when he uses us in the lives of other people when, like, technically speaking, we shouldn't be usable, you know? When technically speaking, the whole system should just be shut down. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to use you to be a blessing to this person, and this person's never going to know about everything that you're going through. They don't need to know, and you don't need them to know. I'm just going to use you to bless them. And it's just a small sign to us, but a powerful sign that our suffering is not ultimate. Our pain is not ultimate. God is greater than anything that we endure. God is greater than anything that we're feeling or suffering through. And the day will come when his greatness absolutely overwhelms our pain. And in fact, at the end of the age, the Lord says he'll remove our pain from us all together. So it's just a small sign, and we're praying for that. We're praying that organically that the Lord will just give us opportunities to be a conduit of blessing, even as we're seeking to be a funnel or whatever the proper sort of metaphor would be for that. So please be in prayer for us, and please know that we're going to be okay in the Lord. Since I'm not going to be able to offer to you all of my thoughts about how we can build bridges between heaven and earth with regard to all of the global and national and personal things that we're suffering through, what I want to do with the rest of our time today is just take a little bit of time and share with you eight insights that I have gleaned from Revelation 4 and 5 as I have brought my own heart before the Lord and said, Lord, how does this vision of your throne room and this vision of the end of this age relate to the things that Kim and I are suffering through right now and relate to the things that, that all of your people across the world are suffering through at this time or at any time? Lord, what are the bridges that are already there that you have already built? What are the touch points between heaven and earth that can help us uh, uh, make sense of what's happening in our lives and can help us to to uh, um, be fruitful in this time of our lives, can help us to fulfill our calling even at this time of our lives where our capacities are, are somewhat diminished. Of course, there's much more that needs to be said about this, but I'll just share these eight things with you and trust that you'll understand at least how I'm trying to build bridges between heaven and earth. In the coming weeks, I have asked Pastor Kevin to finish this train of thought and to begin to help you think through how to build bridges between heaven and earth with regard to the global and national issues that we're facing right now. It's a, a very big thing to put on somebody's shoulders, but as I, as I said of myself, I would say also of Pastor Kevin is that we're not men coming to you with all of the answers. We're, that's not our calling at all. I think what we want to do is come before you and just say, this is how the Lord is helping us to think about these great things in light of his word. And for my part, today in this sermon and in the coming sermons, what we're really trying to do is just start conversations with you that hopefully will be very fruitful, hopefully that will bear a lot of insight, and hopefully in the end will help us all to, to bear a lot of fruit in what is a, a collectively a very um, difficult time in our world and in our country right now. So Pastor Kevin, I want to encourage you to take all the time you need with that. Don't feel the need to rush through these things. Just trust in the Lord and brother as he gives you insight, be bold. The people of God need to hear uh, your wisdom right now and God will empower you. And so know that I'll be praying for you and I'm encouraged, uh, excited to hear about how God uses these messages in your life and in the life of the church. So with that, here are eight things that I... Um, 
discerned from the Lord, just basically sitting down as in quiet times with Revelation 4 and 5 and asking for his help to understand the connection between heaven and earth at this time of our life. Eight things. My first insight comes from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where John says that he saw a door standing open in heaven. So he's on the earth, he's on the island of Patmos. It's just a place, it's just another day. And the Lord opened up his eyes, the Lord opened up a door and allowed him to see into the portals of heaven. This says to me that God himself is the one who has made a bridge between heaven and earth. They are, there is a separation, but there is also a connection. He has opened a door. He has made a way. And of course, as we think about the New Testament in a, a broad way, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is that way, right? He said, I am the way and I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus said, I am the door for the sheep. I am their point of access into the pen of God. I am their point of access into the, the, the home of God, into the place of safety, in the place of nutrition, the place of nourishment, the place of prospering, the, the place of fruitfulness. I am the access point. So Jesus is the door. We know that Jesus is the bridge. I, there's no verse where he calls himself a bridge, but I, I've been using this metaphor, and I'm sure the Lord won't mind. He is the bridge. The bridge has been built between heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. Not its name, but his name is Jesus Christ. So to me, the point of that, the real take-home of that is this. If we're to bridge between heaven and earth with regard to big things like COVID and the whole racial injustice issue and everything that's involved with that, or with regard to our personal suffering, it is all going to start by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If we don't start there, we're not going to ultimately get anywhere. If we don't start there and take that very seriously, take very seriously our need to intentionally look to Jesus and believe Jesus and trust in Jesus, listen to Jesus, follow in the ways of Jesus, we will never ultimately get anywhere. We can be active in the world. We can be about things that, that seem to be doing good, but ultimately they're not going to do any good. We can do things that seem to be bringing about change, and in a certain way they, they will bring about change, but not the kind of change that's glorifying to God and truly helpful to others and healing to our souls. Beloved, if we're going to bridge between heaven and earth and make an impact in this age that will last into the age to come, we must put our faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, we must begin and end and live by the gospel. It's all about the gospel. Without the gospel, there's no ultimate hope for humanity. There's no ultimate hope for our time. There's no ultimate hope for the suffering in our lives. But the great news is that, again, there is a way. There is a door. There is a bridge. And if we will seriously, intently, daily begin by putting our faith in Christ, we will find uh, the answers we need. We'll find the wisdom we need. We'll find the healing we need. It's no automatic, instant, easy solution to all of our problems. I'm not trying to be that superficial or trite. I'm just saying that we must begin and end with Christ. He is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. He is the healing of God. He is the hand of God, the feet of God, the eyes of God. He is the salvation of God. Amen? So it begins with faith. Beloved, there is a door, and Jesus Christ is the door. So walk through the door. Day by day by day, learn what it means to live by faith in him. That is the key. And I'll tell you, for Kim and I, that will be our daily focus, our daily priority. I don't know what each day will bring, but what I know is 
that we'll be praying, begging the Lord for the grace to live by faith in the Son of God. That's where our hope lies, both now and forevermore. So may God help us, may God help you as you live in that way as well. My second insight comes from chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, those glorious verses where John gives us a, a brief but really breathtaking description of the throne room of God. It's partial to be sure. He's, I'm sure he's grasping at straws, just highlighting the things that the Spirit of God put on his heart to highlight. I'm sure there's much more that could be said about the things that he saw there, but he said plenty for us to meditate upon. And as we do gaze upon the various manifestations of the glory and the authority of God there that John details for us in, in those verses, I think we come to see with crystal clear vision that there is a realm of glory and of power and of authority in heaven that is far greater than the realm of glory and power and authority on this earth. There is a sovereign above all things that's greater than all things. And that one is for us and not against us, so we have hope, right? No matter how chaotic the world, no matter how painful life can be at times, we have one greater than the chaos. We have one greater than the pain. He is for us. He is not against us, beloved. And if he is for us, what can ultimately work against us, right? Amen? Do you feel the power of that in your heart? Beloved, verses 2 through 7 are depicting real things for us, not fake things. This is not a fantasy of John's mind. This was not a, a sort of a, a vision that is the result of e eating something he shouldn't have ate or you know, ingesting something he shouldn't have ingested, if you get my meaning. This was an actual revelation from the throne room of God to our brother John and the authority and the glory and the power depicted there is real and it is the, the, the governing reality over all of life. God is the absolute sovereign over all things. Ha Pontecrator, the one who has all dominion over everything. That's who our God and Father is. No one in heaven or on earth can slow down or thwart or destroy his purposes, promises, and plans. Nothing can keep him from doing everything he has determined to do for his glory, for his people, both in this age and in the one to come. So, whether at this time or in a future time, or maybe we're still dealing with things in the past, as we feel the great pain that sometimes can come about in this life, we must learn to look to the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ and believe, beloved, that he is in total control. It's not that hard to understand the idea, but I think to emotionally be persuaded that it's true, to feel the peace of the fact that it's true is a different thing. We need to pray for the grace uh, to feel that. We need to pray for the grace to feel the anchor of our soul even as we feel the pains of this life. The, 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 the times when we really do feel the power of the anchor of our life, it doesn't always automatically remove all the pain. And in fact, sometimes I think the Lord wants the pain to remain so that we'll not forget our great need for him. Sort of like Paul's thorn in the, in the flesh where he, he asked the Lord three times to take it away. And the Lord said, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that because my grace is sufficient for you. And what I want to show you and the world through you is that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes the Lord wants to allow us to descend deeply into weakness to display his great strength, right? Or like Paul said at another time when he was suffering tremendously. And he said, but the Lord allowed this to come 
so that we would not trust in our own strength, but in him who raises the dead. You see, our suffering is not purposeless, beloved. It's not meaningless. God uses all things for his glory and for our good. God uses all things to shape us into his image. God uses all things to refine us and to make us more and more fruitful, both in this age and in the one to come. Beloved, there is a great sovereign over all things, over our lives, over our pain, over our world. And I think a great part of the solution that Kim and I need and that you all need, that everyone in this world needs, is to be persuaded of that fact and to seek his presence until we feel the power of that fact. Again, this is not an instant cure-all to everything, but it's absolutely key. Beloved, it all begins by faith, and then by faith we gaze upon the glory of God until we feel the power of the authority of God. My third insight comes from chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, where we see that the throne room of God is constantly filled with the spoken and sung praise and thanksgiving of God. Constant, endless praise and thanksgiving offered up to God through song and through speech. This is uh, the aroma of the throne room of God. And since the throne room of God is a place of constant praise, don't you think our lives ought to also be filled with praise? Not just an occasional sprinkling here and there, but actually filled with praise? Don't you think it would be a good, soul-satisfying, soul-healing thing for us to join in the chorus and praise God along with the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the countless number of angels day by day by day? Don't you think it would be a, a good thing for us to come into the fullness of what it means to call us the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the glory of God is revealed and the glory of God is praised day by day by day? Don't you think that it would be most appropriate for us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to fix our gaze upon his glory and praise him for all that we see? Praise is fitting. It is befitting of those who belong to God. Praise is proper for those who belong to God. Praise looks good upon those who belong to God. When the psalmist said that praise befits the people of God, he has in mind, it's a, it's a, the word implies a metaphor of being dressed in a way like that dress or that suit just really fits you. It just highlights the features God has given you. It's a perfect outfit for you. Psalm, the psalmist says that's what praise looks like on the people of God. It is the perfect outfit for us. And it is so much central to our healing, beloved, because I think in part what happens is our hearts emotionally turn toward God. This week on the night that we were having to record the worship set for um, this week's worship, um, for this Sunday, <laughs> we had to record the worship set on Wednesday night. And that day was an extremely difficult day for our family. All day long, it was a very difficult day. And Frankly, I did not want to go to the recording session at all just because my heart was so heavy and I wasn't sure that I was really up to interacting with people right at that moment, but I had to go, so Kim and I prayed. I trusted the Lord and I went. And as I sat there working the camera and just listening to the praise through the practice and then through the actual set that we recorded on the, with our camera here, beloved, I just watched my heart turn degree by degree by degree by degree by degree, just turn toward God. And sometimes I got so lost in just focusing on the words 
in thinking about the things that we were singing to God that I, I didn't exactly forget the things that we're enduring right now, but boy, did they ever get put into perspective. And I just felt the power of the peace of God. Praise, of course, glorifies God, but I'm telling you, praise was given to us as a gift to us. C.S. Lewis says that the praise of God completes our joy, and that's true, but it does a whole lot more than that. And I think that the center of it is that it helps us to center not only our minds, but our hearts on God. It helps us to bring our, our minds and our affections to the Lord, to submit ourselves to the Lord, and just to look at him and look at him and look at him and keep looking at him. When we look at him in this way, it does not make us blind to the things of this earth. It prepares us to see the things of this earth as we ought. So it begins by faith as we put our faith in Jesus and then we gaze upon the sovereign glory of God and then we join the praise of heaven, beloved. Not instant cures, but these things are central to, I think, how God brings about stability and healing and empowerment in our lives in times of suffering. My fourth insight comes now from chapter 5. There we see that John tells us about a scroll that was in the right hand of God. He tells us about the search for one who was worthy enough to open it. You remember no one in heaven or on earth was discovered who could open that scroll, and this caused John to weep profoundly. But an elder came and encouraged him and said, Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The lion of the tribe of praise, the root of David, has conquered and he is worthy. Jesus Christ is the only one in heaven and earth who was found worthy to take the words of God out of the right hand of God and to ingest them and to communicate them to heaven and earth. Jesus is worthy. And I know that that scroll uh, ends up forming the contact contents of the, the middle part of Revelation, sort of the heart of the book of Revelation. I know that we're talking about something very specific there, but I still see in here a metaphor for the broader word of God. I still see that in the right hand of God, God ha has communicated things to humanity that we desperately need to hear, and that those things ultimately get delivered to us through Jesus Christ, who is called the word of God. He is the living speech of God to his people, and in fact, to all the nations of the world, whether believers or unbelievers. He is the means by which God communicates his, his will and his ways to the earth. And beloved, we desperately need his speech. This is the point that I take here. This is the connection I see between heaven and earth. If we are to progress with global things or personal things, we must have the word of God. And Jesus is the means through which we get that word. Of course, the Bible is a big, big part of that. We open up the words of the scripture and we read, but I'm telling you, without the help of the Holy Spirit, through the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, all those words on the page will be nothing more than words on a page to us. Look at the Pharisees, people who in some sense were experts in the law and didn't know anything about the law, right? You don't know the words of God or the power of God, Jesus said. Actually, to the Sadducees, he said that, but it, it's basically the same thing. If we don't have the Spirit of God working in us through the once-for-all sacrifice for Jesus Christ, we will read the words of God in vain. But if we access the words of God in the Scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit through the great once-for-all sacrifice and fellowship of Jesus Christ, oh, beloved, worlds of meaning and healing will come to us. One of the things we, the people of God, need to do when we're suffering is saturate our minds with the word of God. Be rich in the word of Christ. Remember that? Be rich in the word of Christ. 
And don't just go looking for parts of the scripture that directly refer to what you're going through at the time. Let the Lord speak to you on his own terms. Let the Lord take you on a journey into his world that has in part to do with you and has in part, is in part much greater than you. I often find that the greatest ministry comes to me when I'm reading parts of the scripture that at least on the surface don't seem to have much to do at all with what I'm going through or what, are, what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling at the moment and yet in the course of just listening to the Lord and asking for his help to enter into his world, he shows me things I couldn't have seen on my own. He ministers to my heart in ways I could never have manufactured on my own. Beloved, we need the words of God in the scroll. We need the Lamb of God to deliver those words to us. We desperately need the Word of God. Living by faith, gazing on the glory of God, receiving the power of His authority into our lives, joining the chorus of the praise of heaven and, and absolutely delighting ourselves in the words of God. Again, none of these are instant, uh, you know, automatic cure-all things. None of them automatically make all of our pain just go away or automatically just deliver all of the wisdom that we need to us in a moment of time. It doesn't work like that. But we're talking about cultivating a relationship wherein all our needs are met at the right time and in the right way. Beloved, the Word of God, utterly central to these things. So if you, like us, are enduring some difficult things right now, I want to encourage you to make a huge priority of the Word of God. It is so easy to shelf the Word of God when a lot of stress comes. It's so easy to put it in second or 10th or 20th or 100th place, and I want to encourage you to let God's voice be the primary voice in your life. Go to his word before you go to anything. Unplug from social media. If you need to, unplug from television. Unplug from Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever you like to listen to, whatever you like to, to, to look to for your news sources or for your, the greater cultural discussions. Put God first. What he has to say is much more important. All those things are going to fade away. Of course, there's a, a mentor of mine I'm thinking about years ago. He said he was more of a formal guy. He said, Charles, when you become a preacher, you need to do so with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. In other words, he was saying, be aware of the words of God first, but you also have to be in touch with what's happening in the world so you can help people build the bridge. And I still say amen to that. But beloved, there's a huge order of priority there. And I think in times of stress, we tend to put this aside and pick this up and let this be front and center. It should be exactly the opposite. If the Bible, the word, the will, the ways of God will be front and center for us, we will have the proper perspective on all these other things. Again, I'm not saying we'll have all the answers. I'm not saying everything will be easy for us, but I'm saying without the words and will and ways of God, we have nothing. We have nothing for ourselves. We bring nothing to the conversation. So let us be rich, absolutely rich in the word of God. My fifth insight for us today comes from chapter five, verse eight, where we see, among other things, that God values our prayers. He preserves them in bowls of incense, if you will, the pleasing aroma. Beloved, God hears the cries of his children, and he loves to hear the cries of his children. In recent days, Rachel has been interfacing with Kim and I about a number of things, and at times she's felt bad about that because she doesn't want to add to her, our burden, and I've just told her a number of times, Rachel, I, it's nothing to me, it's no burden to me at all to listen to the cries of your heart. You're my daughter, and I love you. I, I love the sound of Rachel's voice. 
I love to hear her express her heart to me. It's no burden to me. I'd bear that to the Lord anyway. I love to hear her voice. And 10 billion times more than that, God loves to hear the voice of his children. He, more than any of us, is not burdened at all when we bring our burdens to him. This is why he tells us, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Keep your prayers on me because I care for you. Don't be, don't be anxious. Don't let anxiety uh, enrapture your heart and control your thinking and your feeling and your acting. Bring your anxieties to me. He doesn't say don't feel anxious. He just tells you what to do with your anxiety. Pray about everything. And as you cast your cares upon him, as you pray about everything, he promises us that the peace of Jesus Christ will guard our hearts from fear and our minds from doubt. We will know the peace of God that sometimes passes our understanding. Sometimes doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes it's hard to explain to other people, but it's real. And it's undeniable. And so, beloved, in addition to the praises of heaven that ought to be proceeding from our mouths, in addition to our commitment to being rich in the word of God, oh, beloved, let us be constant in prayer. Our Father loves to hear our cries. He preserves our prayers in his presence. Don't be afraid to pray. And if you feel confused, talk to God about your confusion. If you feel angry at the Lord about X, Y, or Z, express your anger to him. We should always be respectful to the Lord. But how could we hide our true feelings from him anyway, right? He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're thinking. He understands the roots of all that a lot more than we do. He's a very secure God. He's able to handle whatever we're feeling. And sometimes when we don't understand him, sometimes when we're frustrated with him, sometimes when we're angry with him, we just need to hopefully, respectfully express that to him and help uh, allow him to help us process through all of that. And he will. He's done that for me a thousand times, beloved. I could tell you so many stories. I'm thinking of a couple stories right now from my past where I had some really interesting talks with the Lord. I said things to him that I'm not sure that I should have said to the Lord, but that's just what was on my heart at the time. And he just so patiently held me in his arms and walked me through some things and helped me. And so pray, beloved, pray, pray. Cast your cares upon him. Don't be anxious, but pray about everything and trust that your father values your prayers so much that he preserves them in his presence. That's what he thinks. He may not answer our prayers in exactly the way we want him to answer our prayers. He has not bound himself to our will and to our purposes. He has bound himself to his will and to his purposes. He will give us what we need and not necessarily what we want, but the Lord always cares about what we have to say. And he will always lead us in the right way. So I pray with all my heart that we will learn the joy, the healing power of what it means to pray without ceasing. My sixth insight comes from chapter 5, a little bit in verse 6, where Jesus is called the lamb that appeared as though it had been slain. But then mainly my, my insight here is coming from verses 9 and 10, where John tells us that he was slain in order to redeem for himself a people. So I take for this from this that Jesus has made the great once-for-all sacrifice for our sins, and in this way he has laid the foundation of our healing. He has laid the foundation for our restoration, and not only our personal restoration, but the restoration of our society, the restoration of the nations of the world, in fact, the restoration of the entire created order. I know that sounds pretty grand, but that's exactly what the scripture teaches us. For example, just one place, Ephesians 1.10, Paul says that the vision of God for Jesus Christ is to unite everything in him. 
I preached through Ephesians here at this church way back when we began, and I spent so much time thinking about that. I still, even after all these years, I can't quite wrap my mind around exactly what that means. All I know is that through Jesus Christ, everything in heaven and on earth will be put in its perfect and proper order. All that's going to happen in Jesus. All things will unite in him. All things will be put in order through him. He will bring restoration to everything, beloved. This is just the, the, the extent, the power of what he has done. And it is the foundation uh, of, of everything that we need in this time, either personally or culturally. Jesus has already completed the hardest work, is really the point that I'm making. Right now, the world probably seems to many of us like it's completely out of control. And I got to tell you, I think there's a great chance that this could get a lot worse. I know this might sound extreme to some of you, but I don't think it's unthinkable um, that we could find ourselves in a civil war in the next year or maybe even less. I don't know. I really don't know where all this is going. And right now, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised by much of anything. But what I know is that Jesus has already done the hardest work might seem hard right now, but actually what happened on the cross was not to be compared with anything else. And, you know, chaos has basically been the order of the day since sin entered into the world, right? None of this is new. Go back and read Genesis 1 through 12, and you'll see none of this is new. Human beings have uh, uh, created a lot of chaos in the earth for a very long time, and Jesus has always been the sovereign, stable solution to all of it. And that's really my point. Remember that he was slain in order to redeem for himself a people and in order to unite all things in him. He has a purpose and he will accomplish his purpose. He who began this good work in us will finish it to the day of Christ Jesus, no matter the chaos around us, no matter the suffering within us. Oh, what great hope this gives us. As I've said a number of times now, as I've meditated on this point, it's not like I automatically got all the answers to everything that Kim and I really need answers to right now. It's not like uh, the pain that I'm feeling inside of my chest right now, even right now, it just goes away. It doesn't just go away, but it so much puts everything in perspective. So much helps me feel the hope of, uh, and joy of God because I know that he alone is ultimate. Our personal pain is not ultimate. Cultural chaos is not ultimate. God himself is ultimate, and he will show this to be true. So let's put our faith in him. Let's gaze at him. Let's join the chorus of heaven. Let's saturate our minds in the word of God. Let's keep our prayers upon God, and let's remember that through his sacrifice on the cross, he has laid all the foundation for everything that we need. Seventh, this insight comes from chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, again, where The four living creatures and the 24 elders sang a song of praise to Jesus, saying, among other things, that he created out of his redeemed people a kingdom and a priesthood. Now that's really an impactful point to me, and it gets to something that I shared with you a little bit earlier. Not only has Jesus Christ chosen to redeem us out of the world and to heal us of all of our own ailments, but somehow or other in his power and in his grace, He has thought it good to actually create of us conduits of blessing for the world. We are priests of God Almighty in this world. We who once were in sin and completely lost and alienated from God have now become priests in this world. We have become conduits of the blessing of God. We have become proclaimers of the gospel of God. We have become intercessors for the nations. 
And beloved, I, I think I hinted at this a little bit earlier, but one of the greatest joys in my life in any time I have gone through minor or major suffering is to watch Jesus use me in the life of another person who has no idea what I'm going through at the time and actually never learns about what I was going through at the time. It's just a, a little joy-producing secret between Jesus and I that at a time when I should not have been usable by him at all for any purpose, somehow he gives me the grace in a moment and uses me. And you walk away from the moment and just kind of think to yourself, wow, how did that happen? To be honest with you, I have a little bit of that feeling right now as I'm preaching. Today has been a very difficult day for our family, not just Kim and I, but our extended family. It's been very, very hard. And 30 minutes before I got ready to preach the sermon, I was begging the Lord to help me because I couldn't put two thoughts together. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to get to the sermon tonight. And ever since I started preaching, I have just felt a freedom. And what I know is I am completely powered by grace right now. That's what I know. And it's just such a great joy, beloved. It's a great joy. Even when we're in need of ministry, we're still a conduit of blessing. Even when we're in need of ministry, we are still priests in this world. And oh, what a great joy that is. It shows us, it is a sign to us that our pain is not ultimate. Our circumstances are not ultimate. The chaos surrounding us is not ultimate. Death itself is not ultimate. Jesus Christ alone is ultimate. It's the most powerful uh, mental and affectional uh, sign to us. And I pray that we'll receive it. I'll pray that we'll understand that even in our suffering, we are still priests in this world. And I pray that God will use us. Our eighth, my eighth and final insight to bring before you today comes from chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, those final glorious verses where John describes for us the end of this age, where first the host of heaven sings the praises of Jesus. Every single being in the heavenly places sings the praises of Jesus. And then John pictures the entire creation. Every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, every creature in the sea and all that is in them lifting up their voices to sing a song of praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, right? Singing the praise of God. All creation united in singing the praises of God. And here is what they said in order. First the host and then all of creation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then all creation said, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, since all of creation is heading toward that glorious day, since this is the ultimate end of this age and actually the beginning of the next age, the heaven and worldwide, the universe-wide uh, praise and exaltation of the name of God, then I think we ought to take advantage of this revelation that's been given to us here to fix our eyes upon the glory of God and to pray for the grace to hear the praises of God being sung by the angels and by the four living creatures and by the 24 elders to hear at least an echo of the praises of God that will be sung by all creation. And then, as I said earlier, to join the chorus. If this is our ultimate end, to, to join all creation in the praise of God, well, shouldn't we just begin that now? Shouldn't we begin to, to glimpse now the, the final destiny of where we're going? Yes, we should. I'm just getting this picture in my mind right now of a, a family 
because I was brought up in the 70s, I'm seeing one of those old station wagons. Just imagine just packing your whole family into one of those station wagons. Our family had one of those. There was a game board in the back. Sit back there and play Monopoly or whatever while we're driving. And imagine that the whole family's going to some concert that's really thrilling for all of you. And all the way along the road to that concert, you're singing the songs that you know your favorite band is going to hear. And the family's just anticipating what it's going to be like to hear and see the real thing. Well, that might be just a small glimpse of what I'm trying to say No. Earlier, I was just talking about joining in the chorus of heaven and singing the praise of God and speaking thanksgiving to God. But now I'm saying something slightly different. We, we are destined to worship God with all of creation, so let's sing along the way. Let's sing these words along the way. Let's pray these words along the way. Let's feel the power of these words along the way. And as I've said a number of times today, I'm not saying that this one thing or all these eight things together is an automatic solution to all of our needs and all of our pain and all of our problems. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that this is the great stabilizing center. I am saying that. So by the grace of God, let us put our faith in Jesus and gaze upon the glory of God. Let us sing the praises of God along with the host of heaven. Let us saturate our minds with the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God. Let us uh, cast our cares upon God in prayer. Let us remember that Jesus on the cross laid the great foundation for the restoration of our personal lives and of the whole creation. Let's remember, um, <laughs> I can't remember what point seven was. Let's remember, uh, beloved, that he has made of us a kingdom of priests that can be used even in the midst of our weakness and not just after our weakness has been dealt with. And let's remember where it's all going. Let's get in that great bus, that huge, great bus of all the people of God as we're headed to the great and final concert. Let's sing together along the way. Let's allow the worship of God to provide sustaining power for we, the people of God, as we're moving along. So much more can be said about these things, beloved, and I honestly wish I had more time to say more. When I come back um, later in the summer, I might actually take some time to speak more deeply into these things. We'll have to see what the Lord has for us um, by that time. But I trust that at least by sharing these eight insights with you, you can begin to understand how I was looking to Revelation 4 and 5 to help see connections to the world. I just mainly, I just basically opened up my Bible and just said, Lord, please help me see. And to be very honest with you, when I sat down and asked him to do that, I didn't have a lot of instant insight. I just read slowly and I prayed and I begin to think about what does it mean that this door is open? And I begin to think about what does it mean that this praise is being sung and the scroll is in his hands and uh, the prayers are being valued in the presence of God and God gave me insight. So I, I just want to encourage you to do the same thing with regard to the COVID thing, with regard to the racial injustice issues, with regard to your personal suffering, with regard to whatever. Just open up the scripture. Begin to ask God to give you insight into how to connect this vision of heaven with the things on earth. God alone, beloved, is ultimate in this life and in the one to come. God alone has absolute authority in this life and in the one to come. God alone is infinitely worthy of our praise and of our hearing, our intent listening. God alone has the ability to heal the wounded soul. So by his grace, let's fix our eyes on him together and trust that he will help us along the way. I want to close by quoting for you that, uh, those words from Corey Ten Boom that I quoted a couple weeks ago. I found them so helpful and increasingly helpful as the time has gone on. So I just want to read these again to you and maybe say another word and then I'll pray. 
She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. And Lord knows that's true. If you look within, you'll be depressed. The ultimate solutions are not in here. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. And so I pray that now we put a little bit of meat on the bones of what it means to look at God. Open up the scripture, pray for grace, and look at the details. Look at God. And as you look at God by faith, I pray that his rest, his peace, his joy, his hope will capture your soul even as, as it has captured my soul tonight. Let's pray now that God will help us and let's pray that God will um, use us to bear much fruit in our lives, whether we're suffering or whether we're just enduring great global trials. Let's pray for his help now. Lord, I thank you so much for your help uh, this evening here. Thursday night it is here in the office, Sunday morning, maybe Saturday night for those who are listening. Lord, whenever you're at work, (laughs) wherever your people are, Lord, I just give you my thanks. I really do. Lord, you heard the cries of my heart before I got ready to preach this message tonight, and I just thank you so much for hearing my prayers. And Lord, every person listening to me right now also brought their own cries to this message. They also brought their own cries to this time of worship, and I thank you for valuing their cries. I thank you for hearing their cries, and I pray that through the word of God that you would give them the wisdom that they need to know how to understand and make sense of and respond to the cries of their hearts. Oh God, please heal us. Please help us. Please empower us. Please stabilize us. Please fill us with hope and peace and joy so that we might go out into this world and bear all the fruit that you have already uh, designed for us to bear for the glory of your name and for the increasing joy of our souls and for the blessing of our neighborhoods and nations. In the name of Jesus Christ, great and gracious, we pray. Amen.